This next section uh, in the chapter about the Satipatthana refrain is called The Principle of Dependent Co-Arising and Its Practical Application. To speak of dependent co-arising is to speak of specific conditions related to specific events. Such, quote, specific conditionality, unquote, idapachayata in Pali, can be illustrated in the following manner. When A is, B comes to B. With the arising of A, B arises. When A is not, B does not come to B. With the cessation of A, B ceases. And that's a uh, fr uh, frequent um, uh, passage that you get in the, the suttas. Um, the Buddha phrases it in the uh, uh, customarily, when this exists, that comes to be. With the arising of this, that arises. When this does not exist, that does not come to be. With the cessation of this, that ceases. And so Idapachayata also in Ajahn Tanisro's translations, he renders that as this-that conditionality. Um, it's also a theme that Ajahn Buddhadasa has written about extensively, and um, I think there's a whole large uh, book of his called Idapachayata, and that um, <coughs> the... Um, uh, you know, I don't think that's in, in been translated into English in its entirety, but it was a, a significant uh, collection of, of uh, teachings and reflections. The operation of dependent co-arising is not confined to a strictly linear sequence of events in time. Rather, dependent co-arising stands for the conditional interrelation of phenomena, constituting a web of interwoven events, where each event is related to other events by way of both cause and effect. So uh, when, uh, when we recite the, 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 the pattern of dependent arisings, uh, avicca pachaya sankara, ignorance conditions formations, sankara pachaya vinyanam, uh, formations uh, condition consciousness, uh, vinyana pachaya, uh, nama rupang, Consciousness conditions, uh, nama rupa, mind and body. That each one of those, you just have the word pachaya uh, between the two um, uh, qualities. So, avijja pachaya sankara. So, it's a bit deceptive because that a single word pachaya is used for the connection uh, between all of the different links of the um, of the uh, chain of of uh, dependent co arising, and so often. It's it's uh, misread as meaning uh, A causes B, B causes C, C causes D, D causes E, and so on, um, because they're, 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 you have the same word describing um, that uh, connection. But uh, what he's talking about here is that that word pachaya uh, literally it um, it literally means conditions, but it condition it can uh, condition things in all sorts of different ways, and according to the Abhidhamma there are 24 different pachayas. So when we, uh, in the funeral chanting, along with chant, uh, reciting the, um, the the list of links in the dependent origination, avicca uh, pachaya sankara, and so on, then another of the chants that we do uh, with the um, 
uh, in the the, uh, the funeral ceremonies is Hetu Pachayo, Aramana Pachayo, Adipati Pachayo, and so on. And that is, uh, in case those of you who have um, have looked at it and kind of wonder what that is, those are the 24 different ways that you get uh, the sort of possible connections between the different elements of the of dependent origination. And so uh, uh, Bhikkhu Analeo has a helpful little note on this, because I understand this is a bit of an esoteric subject, uh, and not uh, necessarily easily understood by any of us. But uh, he, his note is pretty helpful, so I thought I would read that out as well. The complexity of the conditional interrelation of phenomena is illustrated in the Patana of the Pali Abhidhamma from a variety of angles, with altogether 24 types of conditions. Thus, for example, the conditioning influence exercised by A on B could, from a temporal perspective, take place not only with A arising earlier than B, Purejata Pachaya, but also if both arise simultaneously, Sahajata Pachaya, or even when A arises later than B, Pachajata Pachaya. It could be the presence of A, uh, sorry, it could be the presence of A, Atipachaya, but also its absence, Natipachaya, that conditions B. Moreover, a could be the active cause, kamapachaya, or it could exert its conditioning influence while being itself a resultant effect, vipaka pachaya. Or else, A could be both a cause and an effect, when A and B are related to each other by way of mutuality condition, anyamanya pachaya. So I suspect most of you are a little bit, uh, possibly a little bit uh, more illuminated <laughs> on the subject. Um, but it, it's saying uh, how sometimes you, uh, you know, that you have a direct cause. So, like, say for example, you put a pot of water on the on the cooker, and you light the you you, uh, you light the gas, and the uh, <coughs> and the 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 heat uh, has its effect on the water, and the water boils because of uh, the the the. Um, the heat coming from the flame, then the water boils. Um, you know, the the heat from the flame causes the water to to boil. Um, that's the uh, you know the the uh, the one is the direct cause of the other. Um, another one that might be say, I mean, I haven't gone through all of these, and if I'd been a, uh, a bit more diligent and done some homework, I could have probably come up with different examples for all of these. But uh, say another example of one, which is say a um, uh, a condition that arises uh, together, say um, when <coughs> uh, when you have a um, uh, say <coughs> a, um, a a beam of light switched on, and you have a, a an object that stands in the way of of the light, then you both have the the patch of uh, of light where it falls on the floor uh, arises but at the same time the shadow arises because there's the source of light comes on and then you get both the patch of light and also the patch of shadow that they both arrive at, at the same time they've got the same cause of so the, the, the two conditions the light and the shadow are related together but they've uh, they they both arise uh, at exactly the same time so it's not like that um, the patch of light on the floor causes a shadow, but the two uh, appear side by side on account of having had uh, 
uh, the the same origin. So uh, it's, these are, are, are things to not create too much confusion about if you want to go through the entire list of 24 because these English words like uh, mutuality condition um, are not common phrases. <laughs> or, uh, but it, it can be... Um, uh, it can be helpful to just be uh, considering how um, that we're, we're not just talking about A causing B, but how uh, sometimes, uh, you know, say, like with the example of the light and shadow, if there's no light, then you don't have any light on the floor, you don't have any shadow, and then you turn the light on, then you get both together. Say, oh, right, I see he's got this one origin, and then these two uh, come together. It, if you didn't... Uh, uh, if you didn't have it in that way, it would be it would be different. So sometimes it can be useful to consider how the different aspects work together. Um, but uh, like many things, if you think about it too much, it'll just create more doubt and confusion. So that uh, um, there are uh, books about the, uh, that explain Abhidhamma in in some detail. Some of them are more uh, say, say, uh, comprehensible than others. I think uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi's um, uh, written quite helpfully about uh, Abhidhamma and explanations for the ordinary, uh, uh, the average reader. Uh, but um, I would say that it's helpful just to understand that uh, you haven't got a simple causal chain, but you've got ways that the um, the different aspects of the, the the process of dependent origination they affect each other in different ways, and so it's not a simple linear process. Well, then Bhikkhu Analyo goes on to say, Within these interwoven patterns, the centrally important specific condition from the viewpoint of subjective experience is volition. It is the mental volition of the present moment that decisively influences future activities and events. And if you remember, I, quote that, I quoted that very significant passage, and it's from the Anguttara, Book of the Sixes, uh, where are we? Uh, Sutta number 63, that karma is intention. So when the Buddha specifically says, when he uses the word karma, then that uh, is um, taken to, say, in, uh, necessarily include intention. There has to be chetana in uh, Pali. That that's what he means by, by, by karma. So that the action that causes a result of a vipaka, a result, uh, an, an effect, is uh, necessarily dependent on the volition, so that the if something is done that is uh, accidental or is done unconsciously uh, or without volition, then it has a, a very different character than when, when it's done with volition. And I gave the example of, say, accidentally uh, or unknowingly treading on an ant and killing it uh, has a very different karmic effect than if there's a seeing that there's an ant there and deliberately standing on it and, and killing it as a, uh, the Buddha pointed to that as categorically different. So he said, karma is intention. So if you want to look up the, the sutta, that's Anguttara, Book of the Sixes, um, sutta number 63, if you want to read more where that, of where that comes from. Volition itself is under the influence of other conditions, such as one's habits, character traits, past experiences, which influence the way one experiences a particular situation. Nevertheless, inasmuch as each volition involves a decision between alternatives, 
One's volitional decision in the present moment is to a considerable degree amenable to personal intervention and control. Each decision, in turn, shapes the habits, character traits, experiences and perceptual mechanisms that form the context of future decisions. It is precisely for this reason that systematic training of the mind is imperative. Uh, in that, uh, it's uh, one of the most significant things and, and uh, speaking about dependent origination and, uh, and from the, the uh, pool of teachings from the forest tradition generally, uh, it's uh, very often uh, spoken uh, or as they described that the weakest link in the, the chain of de dependent origination is the link between feeling and craving so that um, when there's uh, the mind not seeing clearly then there's a, 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 the, the body and mind condition the, the, say, the interest and engagement with the, the senses and attachment to the sense world and then through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, then feeling arises, Vedana. And so, uh, uh, very briefly summarizing that. <clears throat> but then the, when there is a, 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 a large degree of ignorance, when there's a strong, uh, say, root of avicca, uh, uh, not seeing clearly, of unmindfulness, then that uh, uh, that feeling will easily condition craving. That that uh, a, a feeling of, of pain will condition fear or, or uh, anger, aversion, contention. Or if there's a, a feeling, a, a pleasant feeling, then that will condition very easily. Um, or I want that. That's really that's really good. I like that. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I've got to get that. And uh, this. Uh, as he describes here, the volition is under the influence of other conditions, such as one's habits, character traits, past experiences. Um, but one's volitional decision in the present moment is to a considerable, considerable degree amenable to personal intervention and control. So it's frequently um, described, and certainly from my own experience, that where that intervention most easily happens is at that, that uh, uh, juncture that connection of feeling to craving. And so that, uh, as Lumpur Sumedho uh, phrased it, um, that in many of his teachings about this, so there's a big difference between I like and I want. Uh, oftentimes we uh, we think that um, Buddhism is about sort of not thinking anything or not feeling anything. I think yes, uh, the other day we were talking about uh, trying to calm down or, or quieten the, the thinking process. Also, sometimes it can come across that you know, if you're a good Buddhist, you don't feel anything, which is, I think, is a great mistake and misreading of the teaching, uh, misunderstanding of the teaching. Uh, but rather, it's to learn how to feel mindfully, learn how to feel completely and clearly, and to know that when you, when something is uh, disliked, when something is uh, irritating or frightening or painful, you don't have to hate it, you don't have to run away from it, you don't have to contend against it. It can simply be known as something that is is unpleasant there's there's a knowing there can be a clear and uncomplicated direct knowing of of dislike similarly something can be very interesting or exciting or attractive uh, uh, compelling and the mind can go oh you know i like that i really like that that's really interesting that's really attractive delightful you know i want that 
can be the, the feeling that arises, but it doesn't have to be fed or it doesn't have to be followed without suppression, without confusion. The, the mind, you know, if there's sufficient mindfulness, then it can be the knowing this is, uh, this is a, a feeling of liking, this is a feeling of, of com- compelling attraction or interest. That's what this is. Um, and so that, that when he uses the term intervention, that's w- how I would uh, understand that. And certainly in my experience is that way. And an easy image to, to use that, to use in relationship to that, it's like standing on the, the platform of a train uh, at a station at the, uh, you know, and deciding whether to get on the train or not. Yeah, yesterday I, um, uh, I had to go to London, and so I guess trains are on my mind. <laughs> I got the train there, I got the train back. And so it's like you're standing on the platform, uh, the doors of the train open, do I want to get on this train? And you have a choice at that moment uh, that you can get on the train or you can not get on the train. It's it's your choice. Do you want to go where the train is going to go? Does the train stop at Berkhamsted? Did you check? <laughs> uh, I, fortunately, I did check and it did stop at Berkhamsted, which is well, a good thing if you live here. Uh, so that um, that's a simple image. Uh, so that I would re- I would equate that mindfulness of feeling as standing on the platform. The train is there. And there's that uh, uh, clear consideration. Okay, is this the train I want to get on? Is it going to where to where I want to go to? What's going to be the result of getting on this train? Uh, in all likelihood, and <clears throat> that when there's a lack of mindfulness, you just jump on the train, um, and then it takes you um, where wherever it's going to go to. <laughs> so whether it, it, it might be um, that. Uh, the uh, there's a, a benign result, or it might be there's a very a very destructive result. You, you you find that out. But the the most effective point of of decision making is when you're on the platform and before you get on the train. But once the train once you're on the train, once it's already started, then it gets more difficult to get off. Nowadays, the um, you can't open the doors once the train is in motion, not like the old days. Yes. Ajahn, at the same time, when at that moment it feels like you have choice, at the same time, and you said that it's that choice is also conditioned, not totally free choice. Mm-hmm. So it's because you know sometimes uh, somebody who say is an angry person and always follows the pattern, mm-hmm. the person does not have that choice. He has to put in causes and conditions yeah, yeah, yeah. for that moment of choice to open. So he has to condition. So in a way, that's why we practice. It, fe- it, fe- yeah. <laughs> it feels like a choice, but actually, it's causes coming, becoming conditions. For yeah, it. it's it's like sort of um, wheels within wheels within wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not it's not easy to describe it, but uh, I think you, the way you put it is is very uh, very clear because uh, <coughs> the uh, it can be that you've already followed the habit that the the conditioning is so strong that even if there's a uh, there's a, a passing thought that that uh, I wasn't going to do this again <laughs> and here I am <laughs> I'm climbing on the train when I, even when my part of me is saying this isn't a good idea. But I just, I'm thinking that as I'm climbing on the train. Ah, dang, I did it again. Um, and so that 
then even when you've uh, the mind has followed some impulse of aversion or, or uh, attraction, grasping, then uh, at the point that you can establish mindfulness, that's the then that, that's the point to, to okay, I've I've climbed on the train now. I have to I have to wait till it steps you know, stops at the next station before I can get off. And in that respect, it's and uh, and Ajahn Chah would often talk about this in in helpful ways, like as and there's one very very helpful um, comment of his, which is to say that. 50 to 70% of the practice is knowing that you should let go and not being able to. It's like, I wasn't going to get on this train again. Here I am. Okay, Kings Langley, Harrow and Wheelstone. <laughs> Dang. Uh, and that you, but at least that, there's that, at that moment, there's that mindfulness of, uh, you know, okay, now I've, I've followed this. Now, now I've got to live with where it's going to, where it's going to take me to, where it's going to go to. And so that, and so I feel it's not making an excuse for that, but rather, like Ajahn Chah said, it's knowing that you should let go and not being able to. At least at that time, you can see, okay, now this now this is the result of having followed that. How does it feel? So that you can't undo that, the the, the fact that it's followed. But at least at a certain point, you can you can um, okay now having having followed that impulse, having reacted to that out of fear or jealousy or excitement or whatever. Okay, now what have we got? Ow! <laughs> and then at that point, you that you just bring as much mindfulness as you can to at least planting the causes for greater mindfulness in the future. But that is exactly what can be sometimes deceitful. That just the very way phrasing it, if, if, it's, if, if there is an illusion that there is a free choice and it's up to me and under my control and under my willpower, then it can very easily lead to a guilt trip or into all sorts of unskillful things, rather than seeing it as a, as a deconditioning and reconditioning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's never a, just a, 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 a sort of a one or a zero. There's there's lots of yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a spectrum of of, of possibilities and, and the strength of conditioning and so when we speak about um, yeah uh, stages of enlightenment then like the stream entry once return and non return arahat then it's 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 talking about the degree to which um, that uh, those those impulses uh, and attractions and aversions are, are understood and and um, can be responded to. So it's like there's a, an exchange um, between uh, um, Lumpur Dun, uh, who was a very, um, very highly regarded forest monk uh, and, take, uh, and understood to be an arahant. And one of his, one of his disciples, uh, um, when he was very old, asked him the question, uh, Lumpur, do you, do you still experience anger? And he said, oh, yes. He said, yes, it, it arrives, but I don't receive it. It's like the the the, the post the postman comes, but you don't sign for the parcel. It's like, no, sorry, it's no one at this address. <laughs> yeah, return to sender. Um, and so, and and the, the way that the account tells it, it was just like, oh yes, kind of very matter of fact. Oh yeah, it shows up, but it says, I, it's a you down my my owl. It does like I don't receive it, or I don't I don't hold it, and so that there's that. Um, 
uh, and and Nupo Cha would speak about it in the same kind of way that yeah there's uh, there might be those those kind of sensory effects but there's there's nothing there to to pick it up or or, or get confused by it and that's arahat chip <laughs> away down the uh, away down the line so. Uh, it is precisely for this reason that systematic training of the mind is imperative. <laughs> so that uh, that process of uh, uh, of of both endeavouring to be more more aware, more awake, seeing how the the uh, the the pattern of if this is the cause, this is the effect, and then letting the um, the recognition of those patterns uh, be be known, letting that sink into the heart, and letting that inform. Our future uh, actions uh, and our, you know, the, the choices that we make uh, moment by moment. Then that's that's how we train ourselves. That's that's uh, how we develop. And the, uh, there's a very significant um, statement by the Buddha that's repeated over and over, particularly in the in the Vinaya scriptures, where he says, "To recognize your fault as such, and to um, to endeavor to do uh, to do better." Uh, this is what we call training. This is known as development in the Buddha Sasana. So it's not saying it, um, you should never make mistakes. He's recognizing, yeah, we, we all make mistakes. Mistakes happen. We all miss our shot. But to recognize, oh, well, that missed. <laughs> that uh, that was a that was a badly made shot. Uh, okay, that uh, and and it doesn't mean that we have to be guilty. You know, feel guilty or self hatred about it. Uh, even the Buddha, after his enlightenment, um, he was given feedback on a few things, that choices that he'd made. That uh, he accepted the the feedback um, that uh, something that he'd said or done was was hurtful or, or um, missed the mark, and so he changed the way he talked about things or, or re- uh, adjusted a, a rule or a principle on account of the feedback that uh, that he'd been given. So. That uh, is is very helpful because we can take the, uh, the the process of making a mistake or doing something that causes pain for ourselves or others and and build self view around that. But this is um, uh, in a, in a way using the experience of the seeing our actions, seeing the results of those actions, and letting that feed back into our choices. And that in uh, another series of um, um, qualities that the Buddha spoke about called the four bases of success, the idipada. Um, and this is success at uh, being enlightened or success at you know, cooking a meal or, or making a journey. Uh, so the, the, the four bases of success are uh, firstly chanda, you need to be interested. Chanda uh, also means desire, you have to be interested or I have to to want to do something like you need you need to cook a meal. It's it's time to to cook the food. You have to um, be interested. Virya, you need to apply energy to the task. If say if you want to cook, you can't just think, yeah, it's time to cook, and then sit down and do nothing. <laughs> you need to apply energy. The third one is chitta, which in this in- instance means you need to think about what you're going to do. Like okay, well, what do we need to cook, and and where are the ingredients, and uh, who else is helping out. Thinking things through about how you uh, you want to carry out the task, because it's not just a matter of applying energy, but also you know, how how should that energy be deployed, 
But then the fourth one uh, is vimangsa, which is uh, reviewing. Okay, what's the results of of my efforts having uh, engaged in that way? What's what's the effect? Did it work? Did, did I did I actually cook something? <laughs> did it? What did it taste like? Did uh, did it uh, uh, nourish me? Did it, uh, other people find it uh, helpful, useful, delicious? You know, what was the effect? So chanda virya jitta vimangsa. Uh, so interest, energy. Uh, consideration uh, and re- and review that those are the sort of four bases of, of success so that last one vimangsa is really significant because often we can focus on um, what i want to do putting energy into it getting it done and then not really noticing what's the effect of what i've done what uh, did it work <laughs> did i arrive where i wanted to get to um, and so that um uh, in this process of developing more uh, mindfulness and uh, and skillful attention to the the practice, that quality of vimangsa uh, in terms of the meditation. Okay, I've just sat here in the temple for an hour. What was the effect of that? Yeah, what where what's that uh, brought to uh, to the mind, the body? How, how does this this feel? What's the effect of coming along to a dhamma reading? Yeah, <laughs> am I more confused or less confused? Am I more inspired or less inspired? Am I Thinking about booking a ticket to get out of this place, or am I ready to sign up for the rest of my life? Hang up my earrings and become a, a, a summoner. You know, what's the effect? You know, so that that vimangsa reviewing is is a, then that's exactly it's like any kind of living system that needs to be like a feedback um, uh, uh, system whereby the effects of some uh, activity, some reaction, then uh, inform where things go from there. So you have a, a quality of, of um, balanced development is is sustained. So to continue. In the Satipatthana Sutta, a more specific application of conditionality to the practice of meditation becomes apparent during most of the contemplations of Dhammas. That's the fourth section of uh, Satipatthana. Here one finds that the meditator's task in relation to, firstly, the five hindrances is to observe the conditions for their arising and removal. And, say, uh, quoting from the Sutta, uh, he knows how unarisen sensual desire can arise, how arisen sensual desire can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed sensual desire can be prevented. And then, secondly, regarding the six sense spheres, uh, contemplation should disclose how the process of perception can cause the arising of mental fetters at the sense doors. And again, the quotation says, he knows the eye, he knows visual forms, and he knows the fetter that arises dependent on both. And he also knows how an unarisen fetter can arise, how an arisen fetter can be removed, and how a a future arising of the removed fetter can be prevented. And a fetter in that respect means a, a problem arising from something that you're looking at or something, an attachment because of something that's attractive or interesting or a, an aversion because of something that's ugly or, or, or frightening. In the case of the awakening factors, uh, thirdly, the um, seven factors of enlightenment, the task is to recognize the conditions for their arising and further development. And again, the quotation says, He knows how the unarisen mindfulness awakening factor can arise. 
and how the arisen mindfulness awakening factor can be perfected by development. Coming to the Four Noble Truths, lastly, uh, this last contemplation of Dhammas is in itself a statement of conditionality, namely of the conditions for dukkha and its eradication. In this way, the principle of dependent co-arising underlies a range of the applications of the fourth Satipatthana. So uh, he's saying in this that this particular air, um, quality of idapachaita conditionality is is very very important with developing that fourth uh, foundation of mindfulness, the fourth uh, quality of uh, presence of mind in relation to to the 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 nature of experience and particularly seeing how this conditions that this um, one thing affects another uh, you know and that um, in uh, it can sound a little bit complicated but uh, moment by moment simply uh, bringing the uh, attention to um, oh uh, well, I'm experiencing this because I made this choice like uh, you know I accepted that invitation to go to this event in London so therefore I'm sitting on this train because of this there is that. Uh, we, uh, I agreed to read the uh, Bhikkhu Analyo book on Satipatthana so these are the words that I'm reading and you guys are hearing because of this there is that you know, it's not complicated and that um, consideration of causality because of A therefore B you know, this is the cause, this is the effect uh, this is uh, the. St- he doesn't really mention it here but when we do the uh, reflection on the four Brahma Viharas, the four sublime abidings, loving kindness, um, metta is uh, developed through considering, you know, uh, may I abide in well-being, and may uh, may everyone abide in well-being, wishing, having benevolence to all beings. The development of compassion is through oh, is through thinking, oh, may all beings be released from all suffering. Uh, the development of mudita, uh, appreciative joy, is may all beings not be parted from the good fortune they have attained. So those are all fairly straightforward. But then upeka, or equanimity, is developed through the consideration of exactly this, causality. Uh, I am the owner of my actions, born of my actions, related to my actions, abide supported by my actions. Whatever actions I shall do, for good or for ill, of those I will be the, the heir. So... Sometimes people wonder, well, what? No. <laughs> What's that got to do with equanimity or serenity? How does that? How does that work? Because it seems to be a, 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 have a different flavor to the other three. But it, uh, what uh, this is doing, in a way, is uh, in my my understanding of it is when we consider that uh, the uh, that nature of causality is like, oh, of course, I have a body, I was born, so therefore it's going to hurt sometimes. Aha! <laughs> because of birth, then there's the the, uh, the this experience that sometimes the body is going to be comfortable, sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable, sometimes it'll be healthy, sometimes it'll be sick because of uh, of the nature of the body. Uh, therefore, this is something that can be experienced. And so that oh, of course, that's in a way the the ordinary everyday experience of upeka, like oh. It's just part of the natural order, and so when we uh, we let go of seeing th- taking things personally, like why me or this isn't fair or who <laughs> who's in, uh, who's uh, who's giving me a ba- bad time, um, that the the mind that is um, uh, seeing things in a self-centered way, 
that is bound to create suffering if you start off with self-view with this uh, I and me in mind that the necessary result is is dukkha, suffering. But if we change the view and see things in terms of nature, see in terms of, of Dhamma and the laws of nature, it's like, well, of course. Uh, yes, and so often I'm, I'm sitting here receiving people uh, breakfast time or meal time, and so uh, so often people have come to make offerings uh, and provide food and support for the monastery because somebody's died, you know, their, their uh, partner or their parents or the child, you know, relative has died. And so often there's this, um, uh, you know, how could this happen? Uh, you know, she was only 52, you know, my, my dear daughter's just passed away. You know, how, how could this happen? And, you know, if someone is crying and they're upset and you, uh, and you, you feel uh, sympathy for their, their suffering, but um, you also, uh, it's, it's helpful to put across, well, this is exactly what the Buddha's teaching prepares us for, that the cause of death is birth. You know, it's not the immediate cause was, was maybe the, the particular illness, having cancer or um, heart disease or such. But the very fact that we're born means that we're going to die. Like if I, can, if I say the words, every single one of us gathered here in the sala is going to die one day, why does that sound like a strange statement? I'm not reading anybody's mind, but just this is how we are, isn't it? Isn't it weird? We, we think, oh, it's the Dhamma reading, or it's the Amravati winter retreat, that's what this is. And, but that, our perspective isn't usually coming to a room full of people and go, oh, we're all going to die one day. <laughs> right? At least my mind doesn't do that. But that's the fact. Um, and so we, we have a, um, a, a way of, of forgetting that and, and screening that out of our perceptions. But when... We, we shift from a, a sort of our self-centered habits to a Dhamma-centered perspective, that the way that nature works. Like, well, of course, we've all been born, so how could these bodies carry on and, and live forever? It, it can't happen. It, it won't happen. Uh, I'm not predicting uh, anybody's uh, death or my own in the, in the immediate future, but uh, this, is, this is necessarily the case. So when we are, um, say, taking that quality of conditionality to heart, then there's a coolness that comes from that. Okay, uh, the upeka is that, oh, it's like a serenity, an ease of heart, an evenness, like, oh, well, it's not what I would have chosen, or this is not uh, particularly easy, but this is the way nature works. Ha! So then to continue a little bit, The development of a meditative realization of dependent co-arising could be alluded to in the direct path passage of the Satipatthana Sutta, since it lists the acquiring of method, nyaya, as one of the goals of Satipatthana. The same term, method, nyaya, occurs often in, in the discourses as a quality of those who have realized stream entry or higher stages of awakening. Several instances speak of noble method, quote-unquote, as an outcome of the realization of stream entry. In these contexts, noble method implies the realization of dependent co-arising. The relevance of dependent co-arising for progress to realization is confirmed in several other passages, according to which 
one who knows dependent co-arising is standing at the threshold of the deathless. That's a uh, quote from several passages in the uh, Sangyuta Nikaya, the Connected Discourses. Although the expression method is not further specified as noble in the Satipatthana Sutta, it does not seem too far-fetched to presume that, it, that its occurrence indicates a direct realization of the principle or method of dependent co-arising to be one of the purposes of Satipatthana practice. Also in um, the greater discourse on the elephant's footprint, the simile of the elephant's footprint in the Majjhima Nikaya, the Buddha says, makes a very um, uh, emphatic statement, uh, saying one who sees dependent origination, one who sees dependent co-arising, sees the Dhamma, one who sees the Dhamma sees dependent co-arising. So in that, uh, that's not a small statement. It's saying that this is the whole deal. <laughs> this is, this is uh, the, the essence. And, and I was saying a, a few days ago, what you have in dependent co-arising, it's talking about the fine anatomy of the Four Noble Truths. And in that, the, uh, uh, the, the simile of the elephant's footprint, it starts off by saying that uh, just as the footprint of the elephant uh, contains uh, the uh, you can put the footprint of every other kind of animal within the 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 footprint of the elephant the elephant's footprint is bigger and encompasses all the others you know, so too uh, all wholesome states are encompassed within the four noble truths and so uh, it's like the uh, at least that's how i remember the, the, the sutta uh, sta stating it and with the dependent origination what it's doing is giving you the fine anatomy of the Four Noble Truths and particularly how you get from the Second Noble Truth, the cause of Dukkha, to Dukkha, <laughs> how, how that works, and then how the, uh, uh, the um, path leading to the ending of Dukkha leads to the ending of Dukkha. So that, that uh, the spelling out of these different qualities, the, the twelve links of dependent origination, it's like the uh, the the fine detail uh, of of how suffering is caused and how it uh, how it ceases, and so uh, it can seem complicated and a bit impenetrable. But I think the other day I was giving the example. It's rather like when you have a new gadget, um, you have the sort of one page synopsis of uh, you know, here are the six things that you need to do to make the to make your new iPhone work or to get your computer to start up and uh, to to get it to operate. Okay point you know one two three four five six and that's all just on one page or two pages then you get the then the next 65 pages of the user's manual that gives you all the details all the little kind of ways you can adjust things and the way it all works and what all the buttons are doing and the little kind of sockets at the back that you kind of don't really need to know about <laughs> but it, it might be useful uh, that's the Ninety percent or ninety-five percent of the user's manual, but uh, so the four noble truths is like the the sort of the first page where you get okay point one, point two, point three, point four. This is this is all you really need to know to to operate. If you want the fine detail, <laughs> you know, look into the the um, the, the more um, refined section of the user's manual. So that's how I I uh, read this um, and understand the the way that the uh, Dependent origination uh, is uh, is working, so it can it can easily seem like oh this is too complicated. There's too many words. There's too much Pali. I don't understand all this stuff about 
things conditioning each other in different ways. So <clears throat> uh, it is, uh, it's not easy to uh, understand, uh, but also if you, you pick it up and uh, reflect over time and use little chunks of it to explore piece by piece, then as a greater understanding of dependent origination uh, forms over over years with with effort and and work investigation, then it really is extraordinarily uh, helpful. And uh, back in the the late eighties, uh, Lumpur Sumato uh, several winter retreats um, in a row. He just he just uh, I think it was something like eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine, or eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety. Um, you know, pretty much every Dhamma talk for the whole winter retreat was on dependent origination, and he would take a, a theme like avicca prachaya sankara, like one link, and just give talks a couple of times a day for three weeks just on avicca prachaya sankara. And uh, that one in particular, he 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 rendered very simply as ignorance complicates everything. So if if avicca and sankara is too uh, too difficult to get your mind around. Just remember, ignorance complicates everything. <laughs> and uh, or he'd take another another chunk like tanha um, upadana bhava and talk about how craving, clinging, and becoming relate to each other. Or salatana um, pasavedana, the six senses contact feeling and how they relate to each other. So, uh, and that was uh, extraordinarily helpful. Just taking a little chunk. And then uh, just going over it and exploring it. Then during the meditation, the sitting, walking meditation, picking up that uh, uh, and just say, okay, how does this work and how does that work? And what does that term actually mean? <laughs> when we say contact, what, what, what is that? And uh, so taking the, the, the different parts of it, picking them up and, and exploring them and, and working with them for, a, for an extensive period and then over time, you know, some years, then... Slowly, the it's like slowly understanding the user's manual and being able to operate your machine. Oh, that's what that button is for. Oh, that's really useful. Why didn't anyone tell me? <laughs> so then, uh, that that's how it works. And the uh, I thought I'd also mention this. If you wish to understand dependent origination, uh, this is an extremely helpful book by uh, Venerable Payuto. Uh, called Dependent Origination, The Buddhist Law of Conditionality. So this was the book I was referring to. This is a, a single chapter out of his larger book, Buddha Dhamma. And uh, it's in very good English, it's very readable, and he's uh, uh, extraordinarily gifted in terms of explaining these principles. So I've, I um, consider this to be the best book in English to explain this um, slightly esoteric subject, but uh, I would really uh, recommend that. Uh, as a, uh, if you're interested to, to understand it a bit more deeply, because he goes through each term and talks about the different ways that they can be understood and they relate to each other. So um, that I feel is really, really worthwhile. We got, we got quite a few copies of this in the library, I believe. So, any particular questions or reflections? Yes, Nevin. Yeah, uh, with cause and effects and karma, and one thing that I find difficult, sort of like the elephant in the room question, um, it's when I've even read some of the more senior 
Thai commentators, and especially Tibetan commentators, sometimes, um, when they're referring to disabled people or people with disfigurements or some kind of uh, health issue, um, sometimes it's pointed toward, and in, in Buddhist country, you know, there is a, a, a tendency to say that this condition may have been caused by karma, you know, and to um, make those people's lives really difficult in a way, you know. Yes. And uh, sometimes to not help people because they think um, if I help this person, they don't have to face that karma again, the cause and effect will come up again, you know. And being brought up in this society, for me that's quite difficult, you know, I, I don't really like to think that way. Um, I don't know if I'm being naive, you know, did the Buddha say that these were a cause of karma caused these conditions? Or attributed to them? Um, there's a, um, that, that, what you're describing, that kind of folk belief is quite common in Asia. And it's also one of the reasons why um, if you're disabled in, in Asia, like you, if you need a wheelchair or you're blind or deaf, then it, it can be really very, very difficult for you. And how many countries, uh, they, uh, the very minimal um, amenities are provided for disabled people, um, which is really, I, I feel is really awful and, and sad. Um, and uh, there's one woman I know in the states that she from a Chinese um, background, and she had she and her brother had a very very rare genetic condition, and she was on holiday with her husband in the states, and uh, she had a, a cold and got some over the counter um, medicine for for a cold, and she uh, and so she and took this medicine, and she went blind, completely blind overnight. All her mucous membranes just dried up completely, irreversibly. Through this, this like a one in a million reaction, and then um, her husband rejected her, and uh, just let, uh, abandoned her in the states. And then when she tried to piece her life together and made her way back to China, then she um, she was rejected there as well because it's, oh, we must have terrible bad karma because you've gone blind. You know, we don't have anything to do with you. You know, and so it was a really tragic tale. But uh, mm. I met her when, uh, in the in the states when she was had very much pieced her life together. She was actually teaching in a blind institute in in uh, in Berkeley, I think, uh, in the East Bay area, near San Francisco, and had sort of very much found her uh, her own way. But that was my first real encounter with that kind of uh, rejection. They, what you have in the suttas? There's a very interesting pair of, of teachings um, that. The greater and the lesser discourse on uh, on the exposition of karma, Mahakama Vibhanga Sutta and the Chula Kama Vibhanga Sutta, and they're side by side in the Majjhima Nikaya. I think they're number one hundred and thirty-five, one hundred and thirty-six in the Majjhima. <coughs> in, in the one, you have this pattern of like okay, if you're if you're um, stingy and selfish in a, in this life, then you, when you, in your next life, then or in the future life, you're likely to be born. Um, uh, being unattractive, and if you uh, if you kill living beings um, and you you uh, you hurt uh, hurt living beings and you shorten their life, then you'll have a short lifespan in future lives and such like. So it gives a uh, very direct. So because of this, then it causes that. Uh, but the the sutta next door to it says that um, uh, it starts off with well, why why is this person who's living so unskillfully, who's immoral and destructive, how come? 
they're so happy and, and they are they're comfortable and healthy and uh, they have a lot of money <laughs> yeah. and uh, this other person is very virtuous and kind and, and unselfish they're really uh, uh, they're really poor or they have a horrible disease or that uh, they uh, they're suffering in this way and the, the, the in that sutta the Buddha points out how that karma ripens in all kinds of different ways and it's unpredictable so that uh, it might be that um, some karma is ripening from a a, a, a very distant past life that's you know, ripening in this life uh, or that someone who's uh, who's having a, a comfortable life now maybe there was there was good karma from a past life that's now ripening in this life and so you can't say how when and where karma will will ripen but I think the most important aspect of it is that uh, and when I get asked this kind of question a lot is that um, karma is only one of a of a series of five different qualities that dictate what we experience so there there's a, a um, uh, a series of qualities called the niyamas, called the, the like the niyama means a law. So the five niyamas or the five laws of nature. The first one is utu niyama, which literally means utu literally means the weather. It's the laws of physics and chemistry. So like you did not invent gravity, right? <laughs> we experience the effects of gravity because we are, are sitting on this planet. We feel the pull of the earth, but that's not a personal invention. You know, I did not uh, decide on the the weight of an electron, or or the charge of a of a of a proton, or the 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 size of the sun and the moon. This was nothing to do with me as a person. But we experience those the effects of those. So physics, the laws of physics and chemistry, and then the second one is um, uh, is bijaniyama, which is the laws of biology. So the the fact that we're living beings, we breathe, we eat, we we have physical bodies, we we uh, function according to the the laws of the the living world, and the need to breathe, the need to eat, the living in in association with with other beings, uh, other humans, and and so forth, we we are subject to the laws of of biology, of the of uh, of living that affect living beings of of every nature, so that. The very fact that we feel hungry, or the fact that we are, <coughs> we need to uh, clothe ourselves to deal with the the, the weather. The, the fact that we are um, say uh, in, uh, attracted by some people or irritated by other people, uh, that we feel close to some people or remote from other people. This is all just bijaniyamas, the laws of biology of the the the, the effect of. Uh, being born in a human body, of being born as a as Homo sapiens sapiens—that uh, that's that's just uh, the effect of a of a, a human form and living in in society. And the third one is Kamaniyama. So this is the 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 law of action and uh, cause and, and personal choice. So that uh, having a, a, having made a choice to 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 do something and to not do something. That's where that comes in, Kamaniyama. Then um, Chittaniyama is the laws of how the mind, like the laws of psychology, how the mind works, the, uh, how memory, imagination, language, emotion, uh, thinking, uh, all of that 
the, the laws of how the mind works is is chittaniyama. And then the fourth and the fifth one is dhammaniyama, like the fundamental um, the laws of of reality on the most uh, basic and, and transcendent level, so that the 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 nature nature of the condition and the unconditioned the the uh, the law of of uh, life and the universe in its uh, most refined and comprehensive uh, detail. So of those five, only one involves what we call sort of personal choice. <laughs> and so uh, you know the, the fact that someone has a uh, um, a car crash or a, a, a painful illness or that they they die young. It might have absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with any kind of action, any any lifetime whatsoever. It's just the fact that you're born means you're going to die at some point. Uh, and uh, the um, the complexity of the of the body is such that there's countless ways that it can go wrong. You know, and different things can just work in in unexpected ways. Pathogens that, that develop. Um, uh, that sort of didn't exist a couple of hundred years ago. You, you know, you've now got bacteria and such that, that are now very significant and and uh, have a big part to play in people's lives. Like HIV didn't exist as far as we know, you know, a hundred years ago. Now it's a huge presence in the in the human world. So the <clears throat> the effects of uh, our own personal actions. I would say is is a, just a small proportion of what we experience as human beings, but uh, we we can take it very personally, uh, but we don't need to. And so that uh, uh, when when I'm asked about this this kind of uh, this kind of area, uh, I uh, generally encourage people not to not to take it personally or just to okay maybe there is you, if you can see that there is a direct cause. You know, because of that, uh, you know that that car crash that you've got a, a an injured uh, an injured arm, your shoulder. After you got your shoulder smashed in that car crash, it doesn't work so well anymore. Like that's the cause. This is the effect. But, okay, you can see that, that there's a, a direct connection there. But if you unless you can see a, and you really know of a direct connection, just to leave it as as. A, Unknown and to not to not make a story around it, and if other people treat you badly on account of that, then um, that's that's much more of a challenge. But to uh, um, the, and it, the best we can do is to have compassion for those who are giving us a bad time on account of that. But it's not the kind of rejection that's there, and uh, is is a uh, is more based on folk belief than. It's like uh, it's a folk belief that's got a, a relation to the Buddha's teaching, but it's, it's sort of taken way too far. And in and in India, um, one of the things that you come across there is that that uh, and it's a sort of justification for the oppression of the um, the the uh, like the sudra caste or the the uh, the uh, dalit uh, caste, the 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 um, the lowest strata of the society. It's like, no, they've got to work out their bad karma. We can't improve their lot because we're obstructing them, but we're burning off their bad karma. So we, we absolutely shouldn't help them. So to me, that's 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 an appalling kind of wrong view and that uh, it's justifying the power holders 
this retaining their their the control, the authority that they they do have, and uh, I think it's a using a, a spiritual, a so-called spiritual teaching, for very worldly and uh, and destructive ends. Andreas, it's always the same people who ask the questions. <laughs> There's some karma being created there. Uh, just regarding what you were just saying um, about the niyamas, wouldn't it then, I'm just a little bit confused that one could not, with the biological niyama and the physical niyama, in the end actually explain everything and overcome the karma niyama. So, for example, our DNA. You know, which is biological karma causing appearance or certain character traits. So I don't know. It seems it seems hard for me to reconcile them. There's well, the, well, they're all, they're all related, but it's just on on an everyday level. The kamaniyama is yeah yeah. It's so based on your biology. And your and the physics and chemistry, but in terms of of a, of a law to be understood, it's talking about choice and what conditions choice, and that on an everyday level, like if you're hungry and the food is there on the servery, there's a choice about what your hand goes to, right? You could say, well, it's all just physics and chemistry, <laughs> but. On an ordinary, everyday, practical level, there's uh, there's a, a choice that's happening, and that's on on a, a mental level. So that, uh, uh, but also, uh, you know, it's a it's the kind of thing to to pick up and explore. And uh, but I would encourage you not to think too much. <laughs> Thinking does not end suffering. On, on its own, it can be a useful tool, but it can also be something that creates more confusion and uh, <clears throat> but uh, just to uh, to me that the the um, the reflection on on causality just to apply that and just to, to uh, where it does involve um, that sense of dropping the self-centered perspective and just to see well there's this cause there's this effect whether it's related to the laws of physics or chemistry, biology, whether it's related to the laws of personal choice or how the mind works, uh, then just to be able to to see how, when it's not taken personally, what happens in the heart? It's, oh, it's just, this is the effect of hearing. Because there's ears, there's the sound is heard. So then the mind goes, oh, that's interesting. Ah, the bell, happy. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, oh, oh, what, well, yeah, what's cooking in the kitchen? That smells good. Happy or expectant <laughs> or worried that, oh no, they're, they're making that again. That's really popular. It ran out before I got there last time. Ah! Not that I'm reading anybody's mind. I just know how these things go. <laughs> so just to investigate and have and look, because what's most significant about this area is seeing how when you reflect on causality and there's a oh look because of this there is that this is the way it is what happens in the heart and to get a, a, a sense of that quality of, of evenness that uh, upeka that 
uh, how the heart is very spacious and and balanced uh, when that self-centered perspective when we stop taking it personally and it's just seems so that that's how I would recommend using these this teaching of causality and, and reflecting on the the niyamas as a, putting it to work rather than trying to figure out exactly how they all fit together but the forthcoming this year there's a little book called who's pulling the strings that uh, um, I, I did a uh, one of the Sunday afternoon talks on this theme called who's pulling the strings and so that's being printed up as a little book which should be should be uh, available sometime later this year and venerable Anejo did a helpful collection he kind of picked through lots of textbooks and came up with various different references to the niyamas if you can wait (laughs) soon coming okay that's enough for today